0: Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant, And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Wow, amen. I say this often. You just almost hate to stop that, don't you? Amen. Um, Praising him is what we were made for. And, man, when you do it, and when you do it with a group of people uh, who love God, it sure is special, isn't it? And uh, thank you, Matt, for leading us tonight in a time of praise. And uh, tonight, if you're our guest, if you'll notice on the chair back in front of you, there's a... Uh, code for you there, QR code. I encourage you to take your phone and scan that so that we can have some information as to how we can serve you and minister to you as the church. And so if you'll take just a moment and do that, and for the rest of us, as we gather here now, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and join me. I know you probably already know, and you may already be opened up to it. How about that? And hopefully you've already read ahead and spent some time in prayer and meditation in the scripture. And so this, this evening, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, picking up where we left off in verse number 12. All right, verse number 12. Hadn't it been fun going a verse at a time through this thing? All right, there's about a halfway excited. I know that's the thunder got you down a little bit in rain, right? Um, but for me, I have had a blast, and I, I hope I'm not the only one. I've had such a good time with you uh, going a word at a time, seeing how the Word of God connects together and uh, how we learn in some of the smallest, intricate ways in some of the verses that if we're not careful, we skip them. You know what I mean? If, if you're not careful. Here's what we talk about in preaching circles. Uh, we, everybody wants to get up and hit a home run, you know, preach the miracles of Jesus, preach walking on water, pre- preach those things that get you guys fired up and engaged. Um, but the truth of the matter is a healthy body of Christ is fed by the totality of his word. And uh, what you think about, if you're going to make a sports application, it's a series of base hits uh, that makes us a consistent winning team. And so I pray that we would be a consistent winning team, winning uh, by the power of the blood of Christ, the spirit of Christ, and the word of Christ. So tonight, 1 Peter chapter 4, can we smile together one time? Some of y'all worried about that rain, aren't you? Uh, anybody get a nap? Anybody get a nap today? Raise your hand. Oh, hallelujah, boys! some hands raising all over the place. Uh, thank you for that. And maybe nobody's ever told you thank you for taking a nap, uh, but I want to say that to you because, um, well, the Sabbath was made for man. And that means that we're to take a Sabbath. It's not a specific day of the week, um, but we New Testament believers celebrate a Sabbath, a Sabbath on Sunday, the first day of the week, because that's the day of the resurrection. And the most monumental thing that's ever happened in, in all of human history, and all of history combined, was the coming of Jesus, who lived and died and rose again from the grave. And because of that, we meet on the first day of the week. And it's uh, our intent to set the tone in our heart uh, here today. All right. So, first Peter chapter four. The title of our message tonight is "Discovering the Beauty of Christian Suffering." That sounds like a little bit of a technical title, but I think you'll understand as we go along. Discovering the beauty of Christian suffering. Doesn't that sound like some class you want to sign up for? I'll take that as a no. Uh, Not many of us would say, you know what? We're offering some classes this week here at the church. and uh, One class is going to be a a, a, We're going to have one class that's designed nothing but examining the different uh, phases, the different manifold colors of the rainbow of God's grace. And we're going to spend time studying that for an hour each night, and man, that class would fill up. Uh, Some of us, we might say, we're going to have a class studying heaven and all the joys of heaven and the beauty of heaven and all what's going to be there and what's going to happen. And we may study that for an hour each night this week, and man, that class would fill up. Um, But if we said this week, we're going to have a class that is the classroom of suffering. Uh, Many of us would skip that one, wouldn't we? We say, well, I'm too busy. I got ball practice, and I got, you know, I got work, and I got, I might to skip out on that suffering thing, except that, except that God, our Father, is sovereign over all the details of our lives. And because of that, we may plan our ways, but he directs our steps. And sometimes, now, I'm glad you're sitting down. I need you to process this, okay? Sometimes he directs our steps into the path of suffering. And until you and I understand part of tonight's message is the beauty of Christian suffering, we'll not understand God. We will have a big disconnect in our heart between this loving teddy bear God that we have in our imagination and the God of the Bible who yes, loves us, but will allow us to suffer because his love knows for us what is best. And as a, as a silversmith, a goldsmith, who knows how to refine the silver and gold and make it as pure as it can possibly be, Uh, he's able to allow us to face some fiery trials. We're going to talk about that tonight, okay? So you want to understand a little bit more about suffering. And when you, not only for your own life, but for those people who work beside you, uh, along with you, people who live beside you, who go to school with you, you can explain to them, when they say, well, how can God be good and there be suffering? You say, well, I'm glad you asked that question because I just learned a little more about the beauty of suffering as a Christian, Christian suffering, okay? Now, let's dive in if we can. A little review. Don't you love review? If I was to ask you who's the author, what would you say? Peter. Now, who's the divine author? God. God the Holy Spirit penned through uh, Peter this letter. And it's later on in Peter's life, a couple of, most believe a couple of years before he passed, and he's writing to an audience of people who are struggling. Yes or no? Yes. They're struggling because uh, their economy is not going well and they have a bad president. No. Uh, they're struggling because Nero has burnt Rome and in his burning, he's burnt the Christian and the non-Christian. And they've suffered loss in the fires. But also, uh, he has told all of the people that it was this weird group of Christians who had lit the fires. So you see this term develop in First Peter. This term called evildoer. They, they call you evildoers. They speak evil of you. What are they saying? Uh, in circles that were not Christian, they would say, those doggone weirdos that meet over at Hickory Ridge, they lit the fire. The crazy folks lit the fire. They burn all our stuff. We ought to get them. Well, we ought- they ought to have to pay for what they've done. I mean, we're all suffering and it's their fault. And they were just operating, uh, listen, uh, with all they knew. They're lost. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. And they were based on their, their thinking on the government's propaganda. And by the way, be careful uh, not to live your life governed by the government's propaganda. Uh, Live your life, Christian, informed by the word of God. So now, uh, that's what's happened. That's what's going on. The author's written to that purpose. There's something going on. He's written to it specifically, and he's told them some things, right? Some things like, don't worry about how you live your life. It's not important. Not at all. Uh, In fact, the other is true. He said, it is critical right now that you live your life different than people who are suffering and don't have Jesus. Uh, in other words, this is your time right now in suffering to prove you have a living hope. So go and prove it by how you live. Now, don't do it in your own strength. We taught, we saw this morning. Do it by the strength that God supplies. And so it's the evidence. Uh, listen to me. Difficulty is a wonderful platform to produce evidence in the courtroom of human understanding. People are watching you and they're trying to figure out what's going on. What's this game you're playing? What weird group you belong to? Why do you go to church on Sunday? What all what's wrong with you? And they're watching you. And when suffering comes, what a platform it provides for you to prove that Jesus really is living in you and through you. Okay? So that's the purpose of the letter. Y'all got a little understanding of it? All right. I think we're we're kind of tracking along in this thing. Matter of fact, we'll probably finish Wednesday night. I'm a little bit sad. Uh, that we'll finish this up Saturday night, but, I mean Wednesday night. But here's the good news, the Bible's still with us, right? We have more books to study, and, and so I'm not going to get myself too down on that, all right? So if you will, with uh, just with this thought in your heart, the wonder of God's word, the wonder of his word, the beauty of his word, the timelessness of his word, the power of his word, would you, in honor of that, Uh, Stand to your feet in honor of reading his word with me together here tonight, all right? Now, as you stand, I want to ask us to do two things. I hadn't asked you to do this in a while, and uh, I'm afraid we're missing out on some opportunities that we could seize. And so, if you have your phone with you, I want you, before we read the scripture, to go on there, first of all, and silence it, okay? Because I heard a few ringing this morning, and I hadn't said it in a while. Would you silence that thing for me? Now, if it goes off in your neighborhood, boy, you can't imagine how quick them heads are going to turn. It'll sound like a fan cut on when they look at you. And so... If you would, put it on silent, but also turn the volume down on the side in that order. And if you would, then go on social media and let's take over social media. We've gotten really good about doing that, but sometimes we get lost because we get locked in the moment we're living, and that's good, but we don't want to miss out on an opportunity to reach somebody that's not in here. And so if you would do that for me as a missionary from your chair, go to our Facebook page right now and pray, God, would you put this in front of who needs to see it? Because there's a lot of suffering in the world today and they need to hear that there's actually, if they're Christians, there's beauty in the suffering, okay? So if you would take and pray that prayer, God put it in front of who needs to see it, and then share, and let's see what God does. I love the testimonies that keep rolling in, and so you guys keep being missionaries from your chair. Let's begin reading now. We've had a little time to do that. Let's begin reading together now in verse number 12. Are you there? Yes. All right, are you happy to be there? Yes. All right, so here we go, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery. Oh, it's interesting that he picks fire as a, an example? Uh, more details to support the historical evidence of a great fire that Nero said, a fiery trial. He says, uh, Beloved, do not think it as strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. There's a purpose to it. As though some strange thing has happened to you. But instead rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are approached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed. But on your part, y'all help me? And by the way, that's the real reason for living. That God be magnified, that God be glorified. Verse 15 But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved or through difficulty, you'll understand that better in a minute, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful, help me, creator. He is creator God, okay? Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? God, I want to just bow before you now and say, God, thank you That as I show up in America out here in the middle of nowhere on a stormy Sunday night, this many people, it amazes me. This many people said, no matter what's happening in the world, that I'm going back to the house of God to gather with the people of God, to get under the Word of God, encouraged by the Spirit of God so that I can go live out the glory of God. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you so very much for those who showed up to teach the kids and to watch and rock and love on those babies in the nursery, and those who are down uh, teaching, instructing, encouraging our youth. And Lord, we just thank you for what you've allowed us to be a part of here at Hickory Ridge. And so, God, tonight I pray once again you would help me as the preacher. You've chosen me for this time, this message, and this people. So please, once again, divinely empower me to preach with clarity and boldness in such a way that the youngest among us can get it, the most uneducated to the highest educated and the oldest. So, Lord, would you now speak through me and let it be a billboard let it be a flashing neon sign that proves you give the gift and you empower the gift, the one who's using it. So, Father, use the gift you've given me now to build up your church. And, Father, as you do that, I being part of that church, not only will be preaching but also being preached too. So preach to my heart. Preach to the heart of every person who's here and those who are listening out there. And for the one who just is scrolling through tonight, somewhere in a place of hopelessness and suffering, and because somebody in this room shared it, they're going to come across this message. God, grip their heart right now. Lord, whether they're in their vehicle, whether they're somewhere in a hotel room, grip their heart right now. And Lord, make it in such a way they cannot put their phone down or turn their tablet off, but instead they are engaged in what you want to say to them. Because God, you love them. And so I pray tonight that you would speak to our hearts as a daddy to his children. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And as we rewind back to the beginning here, I want to just give you a little word of encouragement. You guys sure do sing well. And uh, that's not something that I'm laughing about or joking about, you really do sing well. I had the opportunity to preach revival about you know 45 minutes from here this past week, and about 30 of you guys showed up. You're talking about blessing a pastor's heart. Man, there's a big block of Hickory Ridge folk right down front, I mean right down front. And the guy leading worship came up to me afterwards and he said, man, he said, uh, do your people sing like that all the time? I said, that was 30 of them. You all to hear 550 of them in a room at a time. And I said, i am telling you it's the most amazing thing. They're just looking, they, they got a hair trigger. They just need a little bit of opportunity. Boy, they're gonna sing the roof off. And uh, he was just so blessed. He leads worship at Broadmoor Baptist Church and he was just so blessed by the smallest little section of our people that came. So thank you for being a people who are not afraid and scared to sing, right? He's a great, mighty, and awesome God. We're reminded by that thunder. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty, and he's worthy of our praise. So let's rewind, back to verse number 12, all right? Verse number 12. Y'all gonna be able to listen with that thunder? Good, I thought you could. I knew you could, all right? Discovering the beauty of Christian suffering, all right? Here's the main idea. The main idea is followers of Jesus view suffering different, all right, suffering with a different mindset, okay? Uh, Followers of Jesus do. Now, the world doesn't, and uh, those who maybe are uh, cultural Christians, but I'm talking about true followers of Jesus. They view suffering with a, help me somebody, a different mindset. There's a whole different frame of mind for the follower of Jesus towards suffering than somebody who does not follow him, okay? Now tonight, we're going to look at some details of that and the, and the how, how in the world am I supposed to look at it different? Because here's the truth of the matter. Though that is an adequate statement, though that is a truthful statement, sometimes I don't approach it with the right mindset. Uh, sometimes I get on what I call my soapbox. Anybody else in here ever get on your soapbox? things go a little bit south, and you get to suffering a little bit, and, oh, woe is me, and, oh, why, God, and, oh, where are you, God, and all those silly things that we do. And the truth of the matter is it's when our mindset has gotten in the wrong place uh, when we face the beauty of suffering. So let's go back. Verse, verse number 12, Roman numeral 1 in your notes. And there are just five Roman numerals tonight. Just five Roman numerals. Roman, and Roman number 2 has a list of five, so just bear with me. Okay? Y'all excited? We're gonna give time. What we're gonna do is give time for that weather to pass. All right. I don't want y'all get wet getting out of here. Okay. So just settle in, and here we go. All right. Roman number one in your notes. We need to understand, and we're talking about followers of Jesus view suffering with a different mindset. So how do we do that? Roman number one. We need to understand Christian suffering is part of following Jesus. In other words, not try to avoid it. Not think it's strange when it happens. Uh, Not look up to heaven when things are different or difficult and go why. Or where did this come from? Or, or, or here, how about this one? Do you even love me? Uh, because life is really hard right now. And all I'm trying to do is follow you. And so, and so why? And, 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 and where are you? And all these. We need to settle in our heart and minds that suffering is, in fact, part of following. Somebody help me. Jesus. Jesus. Remember this great truth that we came into the family of God through suffering. suffering. Never lose sight of that. We came into the family of God through suffering. God chose to use suffering to bring us into the kingdom. Won't he then also use suffering as a beautiful thing to bring other people, our suffering, to bring other people into the kingdom? Not only that, he'll use our suffering to refine our faith. I'm getting ahead of myself, and so let me slow down, all right? And uh, Roman number one, we need to understand Christian suffering is part of following Jesus. Look with me back in verse 12, beloved. Now, remember that term is a term for family members. Uh, those that are dearly loved by God. It is a term that means how you feel about your children. Y'all know what I'm talking about, that kind of love? Uh, don't you beloved your children? And uh, it's it's amazing to me how much we love our children and our grandchildren. And so he says, beloved, it's a term of endearment. He's not, he's not saying, listen, Christians. Notice he didn't call them Christians here, okay? Now, and I need you to be reminded that in our culture, Christian doesn't uh, uh, have the negative connotation that it did here. Uh, it still had a negative connotation here. Even though Peter uses the term, Uh, They still suffered persecution because, in other words, why did Nero pin the blame on them? Well, because they were Christians. They were labeled as Christians, these followers of Jesus. Uh, That's what a Christian means, little Christ, follower of Christ. And so now that term, hopefully, has become somewhat of a badge of honor, hopefully, in your life uh, to know that you are a follower of Jesus, okay? So here's what he says. Beloved, children of God, family of God, loved by God, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. So notice that the verbiage doesn't mean that the trying is over. He, he's, he, notice what he did not say. He did not say, beloved, don't think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which tried you. Past tense. But it's a present perfect tense, meaning what? Uh, we're gonna face some trials now, and then we sometimes go into some seasons where we're not being tried. You ever notice that? And boy, aren't those sweet. Uh, but they don't seem to last long, do they? And then you get tried for, with, from other tests and other different situations come about. And he says, but when they come, don't think it's strange. Don't look up and go, why, woe is me. Don't say, where did this come from? Uh, don't, don't disassociate God from suffering. He's acquainted with suffering. He's a man acquainted with sorrows. How? Because he did it himself in a, in a level with which you and I can't wrap our mind around. And he, here's the thing, and he did sign up for it. Whereas if we're given the choice, we will not sign up for it. Uh, matter of fact, watch when we have sign-ups for nursery and children, huh? And that's not even really suffering, although some of us in here say, yes, it is. Uh, it's not, in fact, suffering compared to what they're going through. And he said, don't, don't have the mindset that suffering is some foreign idea, something that you're going to avoid because you were born again. Uh, in other words, expect it. You, you write that somewhere in your notes. Expect suffering and that is the mindset that we have. We expect it. We know there's going to be some difficult days ahead. Now, I need to be careful tonight to give some, some to be contextually pure. What do you mean? Specific to this is suffering for being a Christian. And if we're being honest, we do not suffer much for being a Christian in America. Would you agree with that statement? Not very much. We don't suffer very much, but we suffer some. And it's rare, but let me tell you this, the, the, the more brightly you shine for Jesus, the more you'll suffer for Jesus. And some of us say, well, I'm not willing to have a man tell me the other day, if I knew it was going to be this hard, I don't know if I would have, I would have given my life to Jesus. I said, did you hear what you just said? I mean, what's your alternative? A lake of fire and eternity separated from God and a fiery pits of hell? Boy, that sounds like a reward, doesn't it? And he said, so don't, don't think it's strange when you're faced with fiery trials, okay? So we need to understand Christian suffering is part of, help me somebody, following Jesus, following Jesus is to suffer, all right? I'm going to suffer if I follow Jesus, all right? Somebody said, well, then I'm not following Jesus. And my friend, I tell you, there's no better option uh, than for you to follow Jesus. So we need to understand Christian suffering is part of following Jesus. Verse 12, don't think it's a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. See, I said it twice. Don't think it's strange, like some weird thing out of nowhere that you had no idea was coming, that you never knew was a pattern, that you didn't know was part of the Christian experience. And so out of nowhere, you thought that coming to Jesus meant you were going to have the biggest house, the nicest four-wheeler, kill the biggest deer, and never face a difficult day in your life. He said, don't approach it like that. Go ahead and make your mind up that there's going to be, help me somebody, suffering. All right, we can move on. Number two. Okay, good. Number two, we rejoice. So we're talking about followers of Jesus view suffering with a different mindset. We do. Number one, we need to understand Christian suffering is part of following Jesus. Expect it, expect it, expect it. Number two, we rejoice in Christian suffering's benefits. We rejoice in Christian suffering's what? Benefit. You mean tell me there's benefits in suffering? Absolutely, there are. Matter of fact, that's why it's beautiful. It's because it has benefit to it. Now, listen, if I was here tonight and the scripture taught that suffering is just God having fun at your expense, uh, let me just say I wouldn't be here. Uh, I could not stand before you and preach a gospel that said uh, God's up there on the throne and he really enjoys sucking the fun out of your life. Um, But when when I'm able to experience suffering in my life, and you're able to experience suffering in your life, and I'm able to look at you in the darkest hours, and sometimes I'm crying, sometimes you're crying, depending on which one of us is going through the suffering, I'm able to look at you and say, you know what? Suffering has beautiful benefits to it. And to know that, not just to say it, but to know that in my heart. Listen, by experience, how many of you have learned that suffering brought you to a beautiful place of desperation and closeness to God? And wow, look at all the hands raised. And so we know it, but we don't necessarily know it, right? We don't necessarily know it. So here it is. We rejoice in Christian suffering's benefits. I'm going to mention if I could four. That'd be all right. I told you a list of five, but I lied to you and I didn't mean to. Four, all right? Four. Number one, suffering helps us to know Jesus better. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? If I was to poll the crowd and say, how many of you today want to know Jesus better? A certain portion of us in our head would right away say, well, I know him pretty good already. And that's a sad place to find yourself. It's a sad place to find yourself, to think that you, you know enough about Jesus that you don't need to get to know him better. Uh, I say this so often that I say it in my sleep sometimes, and that is the Christian journey is really one, one major task, and that major task is getting to know him better. That's all. Getting to know him better. How do I do that? Well, it's one and the same as drawing near to him. I'm going to spend time in the Scripture. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to spend time gathered as the church, being instructed by the church and serving the church, and through that, I'm going to get to know Jesus better and better and better. I remember a youth, uh, there was a song that was popular in the youth, I don't know, some seven, eight years ago, and I was at a youth camp, and as I was there with the kids, you know, sometimes I try to go so I can spend a little time with them, and the song said something along these lines, God, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me when I think I've got you figured out. And there are days when I just sort of have it in cruise control like I have him figured out. And I need to spend the rest of my life getting to know fervently trying to get to know him better. So part of that is through, help me somebody, suffering. Preacher, I wish you'd stop saying that word. Uh, Some of it is through suffering. We rejoice in Christian suffering's benefits. First benefit, suffering helps us to know Jesus better. Look in verse 13, but rejoice. So we don't think it's strange. We don't think it's some strange thing out of nowhere that suffering just fell on me and I had bad luck. There's no such thing, by the way, as bad luck. And by the way, try to take luck out of your vocabulary because luck was a pagan goddess. And what you want to say is the favor of God or, or the blessing of God that comes through obedience and drawing near, there's, there's different. Another thing I'll plug in real quick that doesn't, doesn't apply to this message but, but does, try not to use the word karma, that's a Buddhist belief. And you are a Christian, so you don't believe in, you may not know this, but you don't believe in karma. That's a part of the fivefold path of the Buddhist. And you're not, hopefully, you're not a Buddhist, all right? Hopefully, you're a follower of Jesus. So you don't believe in, you don't believe in karma. You all with me? Now, maybe you do, but you can't believe in that and be a Christian at the same time. So you're a Christian. Karma is you come back in another life and what, what all this kind of nonsense. But here's what we believe. We believe you reap what you sow. That's the Christian principle, okay? Okay, I'm sorry. Here we go. Back to the verse. Verse 13. So don't think of the strange thing about suffering, but instead have this mindset. What's the word he uses? Rejoice. Rejoice. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I need God to do a work of grace in my life in the area of rejoicing over suffering. Because I have a tendency when hard things happen, I'm like, oh, I really don't want to go through this, God. I really don't want to go through this. God, really, I'm, I'm, have you ever felt like this? I'm too busy for, ooh. Now I may be the only one honest enough to say that, but sometimes I have the attitude. I may not be bold enough to say it to God, but in the back of my head, that's the thought I'm thinking. As if he can't hear the back of my head and as if the motivation of my heart is not what he's concerned with, it is. And sometimes I have this idea that I'm too busy, I've got things, I wanna keep pressing on for the glory, I wanna just keep going and doing. And sometimes we have to suffer, don't we? And so he said, don't think it's a strange thing, but instead when it happens, what, what should we do? Rejoice. I, I love that, just two of us answered and we answered softly, rejoice. And we ought to be shouting, rejoice! And we ought to, we ought to be cheering each other on to celebrate suffering because it's beautiful. It helps us to know Jesus better. I mean, I mean, don't you want to know? Some of us are satisfied just to know He's a suffering Savior who purchased our redemption and that's really all we want to get to know about Him. And that's a selfish knowledge of Jesus. You see that? It's a self-centered knowledge. It's just low enough, just enough to, enough to save me and keep me out of hell and get me into heaven. But there's so much more to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to spend the rest of our days getting to know him and part of how we'll get to know him is through Christian suffering, okay? So suffering helps us to know Jesus better. Verse 13, but rejoice to the extent, and here's why you rejoice, to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, okay, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. So what I want you to see in that is that we are able to relate to Jesus when we suffer for Jesus. Now, let me give you a little small example of this. Over here in this side room, we call this the baptism room, and there have been this year already over 40, almost 50, uh, who have been baptized just in here already this year. Yeah, we ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there, amen. Man, We ought to celebrate the activity of God. But what happens in there, I, I, I love to meet with them ahead of time because they are just a ball of nerves. And I remember, do you remember when you stood before all the people and you publicly went under the water and it's kind of just it's a little unsettling? And I always say this, and I always get some crazy looks. I say, now, listen, I'm not praying that God takes... I say, are you nervous? I already know the answer. You know, the little jaws are shaking. And sometimes you can feel them when you, when you hugged for that prayer. You, know, you, put, you just feel the little the bodies trembling, you know. Uh, big, grown, bearded men, they just be trembling, you know. they just scared half to death. And I said, I'm not praying that God will take that away from you. And they always look at me so crazy, uh, like, I don't know if I like you anymore. And I said, the reason that I don't is because in America, there are not many uncomfortable Now, now, suffer, listen to me now, I need you to, it's a, it's a large reach, but suffering is when we face uncomfortable things. It can be emotional, it can be physical. Come on, somebody. And so there is, in that moment, a small measure of suffering. Can we, can we agree with that? Yes. In America, in our context, there is a Now, it's not, compar- it's not this, but it is suffering nonetheless. And they're willing to They're free-willing to do that. Nobody can put them in the headlock and say, now, you're going to be baptized, we're going to drag you up here, and we're going to dunk you under this water. It's a free-will suffering, you see. And so I say, I'm not asking God to take that away because it's too rare. It's too beautiful. I said, can you imagine what Jesus must have felt like the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was stripped naked and beaten and his beard plucked from his face. They saturated his face with fit and they backhanded him and front handed him and punched him in the face and blindfolded him and handed him a reed like it was a sepulcher of a king and dressed him in a, pu- a, a purple robe and put a crown of thorns, mashed it down on his head. Can you imagine what he must have felt like before he went through that in front of throngs of people and this is your small moment to identify with what he was about to go through, the, the anxiousness that was in his heart. And I say, well, that's one of the most beautiful parts to me of baptism, is that you're publicly going, and and I know it's not the same, but it is still a little small measure of suffering. So there you understand why I'm not praying for that to go. Away. I'm praying that you have courage through it, but that it doesn't go away because we need to suffer in order to relate to Jesus. Sometimes we're reminded in the sufferings of this life that Jesus suffered for us so very much. Let me, if I could, give you another verse in the scripture to write down in your notes there. Philippians chapter three, verses nine and 10. Philippians 3 verses 9 and 10, listen to this. All right, you there? Listen with me, it's gonna be on the overhead. Philippians chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. And be found in him, this is, this is the apostle Paul talking about not having any regard for his accomplishments in the flesh, not having any regard for what he accomplished as a Pharisee uh, and all his accolades, not having any regard, matter of fact, he called all that rubbish dung, if you will. And then he says, and be found in him, in Jesus, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, because by the way, that's impossible, but that which is through faith, somebody help me, in Christ. The righteousness which is from who? How does it come? By faith, that I may, so this righteousness I've attained by faith, that I may know him, okay, now that word again is gnosko, means to know by experience, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Same power that raised him from the dead is now living in me, and he adds this. And I want to know him by the fellowship. Y'all help me. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so Paul is saying here, I'm I'm praying that, that I get to know him better through fellowshipping with him in suffering for his great name. Wow. Can you imagine if when you woke up Monday, you said, boy, if I get the opportunity today to suffer for Jesus' name, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. If my coworkers make fun of me for talking about Jesus all day today, I'm going to rejoice. If my boss threatens to fire me because I won't quit telling my coworkers about this Jesus who set me free and changed my eternity, and a 1,000 years from now, my job, a title, and where I worked will be of no significance, I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to tell them anyway. If, if anybody anywhere tries to tell me that I can't, and if I do testify that I'm gonna suffer the consequences, then I'm gonna rejoice and I'm gonna face the consequences. And when I do, when they make fun of me, when they ridicule me, when they fire me, when they do whatever they can do to me, I'm gonna rejoice that I got the opportunity to suffer for the great, great name, the beautiful name of Jesus. I'm gonna to relate to him. In those few rare moments that I have experienced in this life when people make fun of me or slam the door on me in the past, Uh, I'm reminded, man, that rejection hurts. Oh, and for a minute, this is what I usually do in my mind. I say, ooh, I wonder what it felt like for him on such a larger scale. And there's a getting to know him. And you think, man, when I do suffer a little bit of persecution for my faith, I'm I'm more in awe of Jesus. I I get to know him better because this is what he felt like except much, much more. And he still went all the way to the cross and it causes me to know him better and to love him more. So uh, suffering, the beauty of suffering is that it, number one, it helps us to know Jesus better. Don't you want to know Jesus better? Number two, we're talking about we rejoice in Christian suffering's benefits. What are the benefits of Christian suffering? Number one, it helps us to know Jesus better. Number two, it reminds us of future glory. It reminds us of future glory. The end of verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, that's a future tense, Uh, He says, when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. In other words, there's kind of time in the future when everything you fought for, everything you've testified of, everything you've shared, every testimony you gave, every scripture verse you shared, whether you were laughed at or ridiculed or made fun of or put out of the in crowd, in the end, you're going to look up and say, see, I told you, so there he is. And he's shining with all his glory. And he's going to be uh, the chief uh, object of all of our affection and glory and worship. And you'll know in that future time uh, that your suffering was worth it. That your suffering was worth it. So, the be- the benefits, the beauty of suffering is that it helps us know Jesus better. But number two, y'all help me, it reminds us of future glory. You know, you have some more glory to experience along the way. He's already been really good to us, hasn't he? And yet, there is a future glory, the which likes of which we can't even conjure up in our imagination tonight. So, number three, and with only four of these, suffering also reveals a different spirit in us. Suffering does that. It's the beauty of suffering. It is the black backdrop that shines the glorious light of Jesus in us and through us, how we handle it. Let me show you. Verse number 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Do you all reading that with me? Why are you blessed by God in the midst of that? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, it becomes evident that the Spirit of glory and the Spirit of God are on you and in you and that you belong to Him and that you are. I thought about Joshua this morning as it talked about Joshua and Caleb in the promised land before they went over to Spidey. It said so there was a different spirit in Him. And in you and I, if we're born again, there's a different spirit living in us. Uh, the flesh we were born with hates suffering, rejects it at all costs, sees no benefit in it. But when we're of a different spirit, the Holy Spirit, We see suffering as a platform to shine the glory and the spotlight on Jesus. Oh, I'm telling you, it's suffering reveals there's a different spirit in us. Uh, Don't see your suffering as uh, something to be rejected, but instead embrace. Number four, all right, number four. By the way, y'all getting this written down so that you have it for later? Yes, all right, because this thunder, I don't want y'all to be distracted. I can't tell with that thunder rumbling in between if y'all are locked in or if you're not. Okay, so quickly, we rejoice in Christian sufferings, benefits. What are they? Number one, y'all help me. Suffering helps us to? Thank you. you no, know Jesus better. Number two, suffering reminds us something better is coming. Amen. Number three, suffering reveals and that different spirit is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, all right? Now, number four, suffering provides us opportunities to glorify God. To glorify God. Remember this morning I asked you, where on your list of priorities is glorifying God? And if, listen closely, if suffering is the greatest platform to glorify God, will you change your mindset from it being something to be avoided to something to be rejoiced in? That's what he's telling them. Don't see it strange thing. Don't think it's some crazy something that happened out of nowhere. Don't see it, see it as bad luck. Understand that it was passed through the, oh, listen to this, that it was pa- your suffering was passed through the loving hands of God. It couldn't accidentally sneak up on you. Do you think the suffering in your life is an accident that came out of nowhere? Uh, God knows what you and I need and how it will shape us and Give us opportunities to point other people to it. You mean God would put me through that? He put his son through the beating death on the cross so I could know him. Of course, he'll allow me to suffer some so that somebody else could see him in me and want him, not me. And that's the whole point of it all. Suffering provides us opportunity. Look in verse 14, the end of it, and then on into, I want to look at verse 16 for just a minute, okay? So the end of verse 14, on their part, he says, that the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, Right? <clears throat> but on your part, he is glorified. Your part, what? Handling suffering by the power of the Holy Spirit. People, the, the, the Lamb of God is glorified. Now, skip down to verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed if people make fun of you and tell you to hush. Isn't it funny that the, the shame of our peers will keep us silent to the gospel? Now, I don't know if anybody heard that or if you all have been distracted or what, but I want to just tell you, you and I do that. It's the reason we don't, we don't preach and teach constantly at work and in front of everybody and anybody, and when strangers walk up, it's why we get sort of quiet. We get weird about how we'll talk. We'll wait and see what they believe and how they feel before we'll boldly jump out there and just tell them that Jesus Christ is the only way for them to know God, and he's a loving Savior, and he's come to reach the souls of all of mankind, and he reached our soul and saved us. And the reason we hold all of that back and keep it wrapped up in a nice, neat package right inside of our heart is because oftentimes we're afraid of what our peers will say or what we'll suffer as retribution. How will they view us? What will it cost us? And so it's all the wrong mindset. So let me read verse 16 again. Yet in any, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed of it, but instead let him glorify God in this matter. Here's my opportunity, that's what he's talking about. Suffering provides me an opportunity. I've got a new opportunity in this suffering to glorify God. But listen to me, you will not try hard enough to pass the test. You'll have to humble yourself enough and be dependent enough to pass the test. Uh, that's the whole point of it. <clears throat> you ever heard somebody say this? Uh, God will never put on me more than I can handle. I saw somebody wearing a T-shirt the other day that said that nonsense. It said, I'm telling you, walking around a T-shirt, broad daylight. And it said, the Lord will not put on me more than I can handle. And I said, dear Jesus, help me in this moment to be kind and gentle and just not go over there and ask them what verse can they use to support what they're wearing on their shirt. And the answer would be, because I already know it, there are none. And in fact, the whole point of suffering is that it's too much for us to bear for the purpose of putting us in a place where we have to look up, reach up, grab onto, hold on, cling to, uh, seek after, desperately, urgently, zealously pray with a sober mind and good judgment and be in desperation for the help and the presence of God as we suffer. And that's why it's more than we can bear. Uh, So it's you and us and him who are going through it together, okay? So let me move on if I can. Suffering provides us opportunities to glorify God, all right? Number three in your notes there. Now, see, we've done Roman number one. We need to understand Christian suffering as part of following Jesus. This is part of it. Expect it. Number two, we rejoice in Christian suffering's benefits. We talked about four benefits of Christian suffering. Helps us to know Jesus better, reminds us of future glory, reveals a different spirit living in us, and provides us opportunities to glorify God. Number three, and there's only five of these, so see y'all are doing really well. Be almost like halftime. And it's still raining hard, so just settle in, all right? Number three, not all our suffering is Christian suffering. Uh Uh-oh, we're fixing the metal a little bit, aren't we? Not all suffering is Christian suffering. As a matter of fact, if 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 I'm honest about my life, and I believe if you're honest about your life, if I'm honest about my first 45 years, almost 46. Most of the suffering I've endured so far has been self-inflicted. Now, honestly, I mean, I, now think about it. If you were to put two categories, one is suffering because of decisions I've made. You say, well, you mean, you mean like what? Well, for instance, when I suffer uh, and I can't tie my shoes because I lose my breath when I try to reach down in time, that suffering is attached to, I mean, I'm being dead serious with you, it's attached to me overeating. Uh, well, the crowd goes silent. Um, when I suffer because I can't walk up a hill, when I suffer because I can't uh, go where I want to go and share the gospel as God calls me, when I, when I don't have energy to kind of do ministry and it's because I'm not, in the, not working out and exercising my body and I'm not eating correctly, that suffering is directly attached to what? My own decisions. Self-inflicted suffering, okay? Y'all tracking with me? All right, let's see some of the list of what he talks about uh, as suffering. Now, listen to what he says here in verse number 15. But, now here's a contrast. See, when, it, when, it, when there's a but thrown in there, he's showing us a contrast, okay? He doesn't want them to mingle in with their suffering. Oh, but I'm having such a tough time. I, I'm so tired all the time. I don't have any energy. I'm not, well, what time are you going to sleep and what are you eating? And, what are, you, and are you exercising 20 minutes a day? Well, no. Well, well what do you think you're going to? I mean, of course you're going to suffer that way. I wish I wouldn't get so silent on me. Boy, y'all, it's like a freeze frame. Boom, nobody blinked, nobody moved. I love that because you know what it means? It means it's getting right in our front door, right in where we're living. And I'm preaching from where I have been living. You with me? So I'm not preaching down to you, understand that. Uh, I've learned this on my own and not the easy way. I've learned it the hard way through the suffering of my own decisions. So here's what he says. Don't mingle that in. Don't lump that in with your Christian suffering. And if you had a second category over here, for all the suffering you've endured, you know, job loss, death threats, uh, how it's affected your income, uh, all of this category is only because you're living for Jesus and you're out loud about it. Now, I want you honestly to think about that in your life, and I want you to think of If you can think of five things that you have suffered because of your faith in Jesus, simply because you put your hope and trust in Jesus. Somebody threatened you. Somebody burnt something in your yard. Somebody kicked you out of your house. Somebody hurt one of your children. Somebody threatened your wife. Somebody did something to you because, only because, you put your hope and trust in the resurrected Jesus. Wow. Category is pretty empty, isn't it? And part of that, now listen, part of that is because we're living in this nation who, though it has fallen far from grace, was founded on the scripture and the, and the principle of having a personal relationship with a living God. Okay, now that's partial of why. Um, but I will say to you that we're living in more and more of a context that when we live the Christian life, we're going to suffer more and more persecution. It's, it's, here's what I heard one of my pastor friends says, it's growing gloriously dark. That means it's close to his return. <clears throat> so he says, but contrasting, let none of you suffer. This is not the same suffering. This suffering doesn't count. This suffering is self-inflicted. Don't suffer because uh, that you are a murderer. <laughs> Don't suffer because you are a thief. Don't suffer because you are an you practice evil, you, you go against what the Word of God says. Or because not many of us can say that we've actually committed physical murder or that we maybe have stolen, though most of us have stolen something, even if it was a five-minute break from our boss that we really didn't have and we stole it. Even though at most 90% of us will say we hate a thief, and yet most all of us have stolen something. Uh, I want you to see here, he says, don't suffer because you've killed somebody. Don't su-. If you kill somebody and you go to the electric chair, you go to the noose, right? Whose fault is that? That's not associated with your faith in Jesus. That doesn't count. That doesn't draw you near. to. Now, you're probably going to be begging for mercy and forgiveness. It'll draw you close to him that way. But you'll not fellowship with him in suffering for his name in that category. Does that make You see where he's going with this? He's telling these people, no, don't mix it up. Don't mix it up. Not all suffering is Christian suffering. Some of it's self-inflicted, all right? So don't be a murderer. Don't be uh, a thief. What else? Don't be an evil. Don't suffer as an evildoer. Y'all tracking with me? Or, and then he throws this one in there because he hit some big ticket items. He hit some, he contrasted that thing, didn't he? I mean, we went from suffering for Jesus' name to suffering for murder. I mean, those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. But then in case everybody felt pious and high and mighty, he says, don't even suffer as a busybody. I want you to know there's some busybodies amongst us. And sometimes it's you and sometimes it's me. And it's especially when we don't have much to do and we get to thinking and we get in everybody. You know what a busybody is? They're busy in everybody else's business. And here's what he promises. There's going to be some suffering attached to that. Right? Busybody. You're in everybody's business. In other words, if you're the person we can go to and find out everybody's business, he's talking about you. And if you wonder why everybody's coming to you, talking to you about everybody else's business, it's because, I read this somewhere, it's because you've become a dumpster. And you've allowed people to come and dump on them what they're talking about other people. And you ought not do that. There's suffering involved with that. There's suffering. It'll affect your relationship with the Lord. But not only that, it'll also affect the people that you're talking about and you're in their business. I wish somebody, boy, y'all got... Now listen, it's all right. When I talked about murder, y'all were smiling and amen And we get over here to this busybody deal, and it's like, okay, let's let him get through with this so we move on to the next thing. We can't leave one out and cover the others. A busybody. You see what he's saying there? Isn't it interesting that he picked that? Don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as a thief. Don't suffer as an evildoer. Don't suffer as a... And In case we didn't know what the word meant. You see what he did here? Anybody looking at the text with me? In verse 15, in case we didn't know what uh, that word literally means a meddler. You're meddling and putting your nose where it don't belong. You're meddling in somebody else's business. In case we didn't know what the word meant, I love this. Then he gives us a little definition. Do y'all see it? Hey, you think Peter wasn't, now he didn't give us a definition of murderer. He didn't give us a definition of thief. He didn't give us the definition of evildoer, but he gave us the definition of a busybody. What can we take from that? More of us are busybodies than there are murderers. But both have suffering involved. Self-inflicted suffering. You'll cut relationships off when you're talking about somebody else and in their business. Listen, you'll end up hurting them, and they'll be done with you, and you'll wonder why. I'm telling you, this busybody business is Listen to what he says. Busybody in other... You reading with me? Y'all reading the definition now in case we missed it? And he says, don't suffer as as a busybody in other people's... It doesn't have anything to do with you. Stay out of it. Anybody hear that? Don't we all need to settle that in? Write it down somewhere we can see it, and then tomorrow when business comes to you, that has no difference for you to say, you know what? I don't have anything to do with me. We're going to move on and talk about something else, and then you'll stop being a dumpster, and they'll not come dump on you the matters of everybody else's life. I wish we could all smile. This is still true. This is good truth. It's good truth. We need to hear it. Amen. We need to stop being busybodies. All right, I'm trying to move on. I'm trying to. Busy bodies hurt the body of Christ. There's suffering involved, okay? Suffering. Now, let me move on. So not all, all suffering is Christian suffering. Some of it is self-inflicted. All right, moving on, number four. Christian suffering is necessary and temporary. This is going to be verse 17 and 18. Y'all tracking with me? Nobody's checked out? Some of you are mad at me right now. And I didn't call anybody's name. And to somebody and said, well, how did he know I talked about that earlier? I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm just preaching the text. Matter of fact, get this. It's the next verse in line. That's why I love expository preaching. Somebody come to me and say, well, how did you know about that? Oh, I didn't. I just preached. If you notice, like last week, I did the verses leading up to these verses, and I just picked up and went right on through them. And there is somebody who knew, though. He was in those conversations. He was in that room when you said what you said about them, and when you masked it as a prayer, prayer request. He was there. He listened to all of it. And he's paying attention. I'm telling you, he is. So Christian suffering is necessary. Verse 17 and 18. Here's what he says. For the time has come, uh-oh, for judgment to begin. Somebody help me at the house of God. Now, there's a reference here to the temple. Old Testament, it was a location. New Testament, help me somebody, it's a people. Old Testament is a location you went to. New Testament, it is a people. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're now the temple. I'm the temple. Now we come together. Now this morning I talked about when people were joining and people are coming a part of this gathering and God continues to build and people are joining every time we gather. Uh, What's happening is God is putting spiritual stones in a spiritual building. We make up a temple individually but also to collectively. And he says, time for judgment to begin where? The house of God needs to consider that suffering for the cause of Christ is beautiful and suffering, uh, self-inflicted suffering is not for the child of God. Now listen to some comparisons he makes here. Listen with me. Verse 17 and 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And for if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So there is some judgment that happens in our life from God. Now, not judgment to innocent and guilty, but you'll understand as I read verse 18. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, now scarcely is a, is a um, not as clear a translation as difficult, all right? So, difficultly saved. Does that make sense? The righteous one is through difficulty saved. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about believers who are facing difficult times and the difficulty is refining their faith. Uh, that's a form of God's judgment. He's judging, my, he's judging my faith and he's determining, Terry, based on my knowledge as God, your faith needs some testing. It's a judgment call. Some of y'all are putting those pieces. I see some light bulbs going out there. Oh. So the, the, the righteous are through difficulty that we're judged. God looks at my life he says, I judge your faith needs some work and, and, by the way, does God reserve that right in your life? I hope so. I hope so, in my life too. And so he, he says, Tara, look at your life, and I see that you, you need to suffer some. Do You need some suffering to strengthen your faith, to make it more beautiful. And, and God sees the end version of us at the same time as he sees the suffering version of us. Are you tracking with me? Now, someone asked me, how can a loving God let me suffer the way I'm suffering? I said, oh, because he is in your past, he's in your suffering, and He's in the pre- he's in the future when your suffering is gone. And he sees the benefit of it. He's not limited, and so as a loving father, he says, oh, you're going to need this. Now, it's going to be hard. I'm going to be with But here's what he promised. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you what you need. But on the other side of this, you're going to be so much better, and it's going to make you stronger. Uh, Christian suffering is necessary and temporary. But listen to the end of it. But where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? If our judgment is difficult, and it is, right, how much more so the judgment of the unsaved, the sinner who's not been covered by the blood of the Lamb? The one who will face the fiery wrath of God and will not just have a little time of persecution that their faith is tested and they suffer and they have the presence of God, but they'll spend an eternity separated from him with void of his love and mercy and grace. What a difficult thing. Did you know tonight that if you're without Christ, that is what waits for you on the other side? And God is not pleased with that. Matter of fact, he went out of his way, out of, he sent heaven and earth, he sent his son Jesus to redeem and to ransom me and you from the penalty and power of sin. So, Christian suffering is necessary and temporary. And then finally, number five, listen to what we got here, and we're only just a few minutes over, right? What does it mean to be over? Anyway, verse number five, somebody said, you don't know for sure, all right? Be nice to me, be nice to me now, be nice to me. Here we go, number five, 1 Peter 4 and 19. Finally, our mindset has to be set, our mindset has to be set by a continual surrender to God. It's the only way we'll ever begin to see beauty in suffering. By the way, I've been preaching this for about 35 minutes now. And deep down in my heart, in your heart, my flesh is still not convinced that suffering is beautiful. Anybody else honest enough to say that? There's still a part of me that's going, eh, you know, okay, yeah, sounds good on paper, but but what's going to get me there? What's going to change my mindset about suffering? Not trying harder, not thinking positive thoughts, not writing a hundred times, one line at a time, suffering is good, suffering is good, suffering is good. But a continual surrender to God himself, all right? To God. So let's read verse 19. Here it is. He says, therefore, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, let them, here it is, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Do you know where this word commit commit themselves to? It means to surrender the control. It means to, it means to here's another word you might want to write under the word commit or surrender, entrust. It means that I'm going to entrust. Now notice what he attaches to that. I want to read the verse again, okay? Put your eyes on it one more time. In verse 19, according to the will of God, commit their souls to him, specifically in doing Because suffering has a tendency to make you and I withdraw. Suffering has a tendency to make you and I say, woe is me. Suffering has a tendency to say, well, I don't need to serve right now. I don't need to give right now. I don't need to do anything right now because I'm just really suffering. I'm just trying to make it through. And he says, no, 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 no. When you're going through this, here's what you do. You keep doing good. How do you keep doing good? You commit. You entrust your soul. You entrust who you are and your future, your present, your past. You entrust that over and over again to the God who created everything that is. It's the word that's used. Let me tell you what this word is used. This is so beautiful. When Jesus was on the cross, uh, the scripture says that when he breathed his last, he committed his spirit to the Father. That's, that's the word. Uh, it means to entrust. It means to surrender to. It means to turn over to. And can I tell you tonight that he has already proven that he is trustworthy. And the suffering of our moment is not what we're waiting to see whether or not he is trustworthy. He's already proven it. And if that be the case, if you and I continually in the midst of suffering, say, Lord Jesus, I'm just going to keep doing good. I'm I'm trusting you with the outcome. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to teach the gospel. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to continue to find ways to do good. Even when people are mistreating me and they're treating me bad and they're mean to me because of my faith in Jesus, when they outcast me, when they reject me, when they don't want to hang out with me, I'm going to keep on doing good. I'm going to keep trusting you because I believe, I'm fully persuaded that you are able to keep that which I committed to you until that day. That's what Paul said about his life. He entrusted himself to the Lord. And so you and I, the only way we're going to make it is if we continually surrender, if we continually commit ourselves over, over and over and over. See, some of us thought the one time we prayed it, it was a done deal and everything was said and done. Now listen, you were saved and born again, brought to the family. But you realize that salvation is a continual thing. So it's not just a one-time yes, it's a continual yes. So God help me and you this week to have a different mindset towards suffering. As a believer, we want to see the beauty of suffering, all right? Would you bow your head with me for just a moment as we close our time together? Now as we bow our heads for just a moment, I want to invite you to just answer this question for me, okay? And here's the question. How many of you right now are enduring some suffering? <clears throat> I'm not being specific, I'm being general, some suffering. Raise your hand if you're experiencing some suffering in your life tonight, all right? <clears throat> and I want, to, I want to remind you, as I ask you this next question, has it been a little bit difficult? Has it been a little bit difficult? to continue to do good and to live the gospel and to live, you know, live the gospel with good deeds and to share the gospel with, ver- with words? Uh, has it been a little difficult because of the suffering that you're going through? Uh, and so I want to just encourage you in that um, to commit right now, just again, commit everything you have to the Lord. Lord, here's my mind. Here's my way of thinking. Here's Lord, I've been just wondering and questioning where you are, and I've, I've, I've been considering this trial a strange thing. And God, I want you to change my mindset tonight. I want you to change how I'm thinking about it. God, I want, to, I want you to change how I'm looking at it. See, I can't do that. But God, I believe you can. So I want to say tonight that the altar's open. And there may be, I, I just feel compelled to say this, and I don't know why, except that just, I just feel the Holy Spirit of God. I believe there's a best friend in here that needs to get their best friend. A friend of a friend, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ needs to get their sister or get their brother and just say, listen, I know you're going through some things. And so I want to go down to the altar with you and I want to pray for you. So would you, I don't know who you are, but I see some of you getting up. I I just feel compelled to the Holy Spirit to say that. There's somebody in here you're supposed to just go and get, go and get them. The the, the room is lit just a little bit. You go find them and you come on down the altar with them. Thank you. People are responding all over the room. Just come down and just spend some time together as the family. of God. There may be a husband and wife need to come down. You're going through some things together. You're going through some suffering right now. And I just want to encourage you, as the the music begins to play, you just would come down and spend a little time at the altar together, just calling on the name of Jesus. Just calling on his name. Just that simple. Committing yourself to him. Committing your ways to him. Committing your soul to him. You know, the scripture says when we suffer, we suffer together. When we rejoice, we rejoice together. And there are some among us who are hurting. Man, they're going through some difficult stuff. And so I wonder if you'd love them enough tonight to grab them and say, Listen, I've never done this before in my life, but I'm gonna, I want to go down to the altar and I want to pray for you. Boy, I'm telling you, it's so sweet seeing people come all around this building and grabbing their friends and brothers and sisters and just bringing them down to pray for them. Let's just take some time now and pray for one another. Still see some people moving. Come on, come on. You know, there's no need to resist, there's no need to hesitate. It's somebody right now, the wildest thought ever struck you. Said, you need to go over and get this person. You have no idea why. <clears throat> I would beg you, don't ask the Holy Spirit why. Just do what He says, do. Just do what He says, do. You have no idea the impact you may have on somebody's life here tonight. Just do what He says, do. Go get them and pray with them. Maybe you'd pray this prayer for them God, give them a different mindset. Help them to see suffering as beautiful. Help them, Lord in the brokenness, in the pain, in the waiting. God, help them to see the beauty of it. There's some There's some husbands in here. You're suffering because your wife's not following Jesus. She's not here with you by yourself. There's some wives in here, and your husband's not following Jesus. And maybe you get made fun of a little bit at home because you take this thing a little too serious. And you're suffering, and that suffering is what he's talking about. And so, listen, I wonder if somebody would grab that person. If you know who they are, go find them and come on. Bring them down here and pray with them. Well, there's a sweet spot of surrender at the altar where the Spirit of the Lord meets with His people in special ways. Some are suffering through the pain of loss. And I want you to know He's a God who brings beauty from the ashes and He's helping. He's with you. He's promised to be with you till the very end. I want to remind you, Christian, of future glory to come when those that have gone ahead of us, you know, our parents and Sometimes our little babies, I think oftentimes about Brooklyn's twin who Tina and I have never laid eyes on. But one of these days when I get to go home, I'm going to see that child. I'm going to see that kid for the first time and a couple of the others that we lost in pregnancies along the way. I can't wait to see them again. There's a future glory coming. There's a future glory coming. Hang on to hope. If you're here tonight and you've never turned your life over to Jesus, why would you suffer alone? Why in heaven's name would you suffer alone? It's too much. The journey's too great. And Jesus stands today victorious over sin in the grave, inviting you to come, to come to Him by faith, to be part of the family through His suffering. If you will believe that He suffered and bled and died and rose again in such a way that you commit your life to Him, your soul to Him, He'll save you, give you a new name. You'll be an ambassador for Jesus. You'll be a pilgrim on a journey, sojourning toward home. So, Father, I pray you take this time tonight, and, God, you do a special work in our hearts. And you help us to see, because we can't see it without you, the beauty of suffering. Father, I pray tonight for those who are being made fun of, who are mistreated in their homes, in their workplaces, in their schools. God, I pray they would feel a supernatural touch, a divine empowering of the Holy Ghost to keep on living for Jesus because you're worth it. You're worth it, God. So, Lord, would you take this time of response. As people stay at the altar, maybe others will come. Would you continue to minister? Would your spirit have freedom to move around, God? Would you bind the enemy from this place and cause people to respond, however you would lead them? Now, when I say amen, you feel free to stay at the altar and pray. There may be somebody else that feels compelled. I'm going to be down front. Anybody who needs just to come and say, would you pray for me? I'd love to do that. As we continue together, God, do whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?